Uh, and so I was really, that moment really proved to me that my nervous system, including my brain, uh, was definitely involved, you know, and that I was the chronic pain patient that I had been reading about. Uh, and that was really a turning point for me because then I, I, that was the hundred percent in moment where I said, Oh, okay, this is truth. This is not some theory that applies to some people, but not me. I'm the exception. I said, no, I am, I am that person. I fit all of these things. You know, I have some components of, of these different patterns that we see when people have chronic pain. And so it really was what I needed to experience in order to really buy into like, okay, the nervous system is my problem. And that's where I need to really spend my time and attention in order to get this problem to go away. Welcome to the Health Heroes Podcast, where we hear stories some would consider miracles of people healing themselves of unsolvable health conditions. Prepare to be inspired and left in awe as people describe how they actually went through their own journey. Health Heroes is sponsored by Remedy, a chronic pain relief app that takes a new integrative approach when nothing else seems to work. You can find Remedy on both app stores by searching Remedy Chronic Pain. Hey, Amber. Thank you so much for joining us. How's your, your evening going? It's going great. How about yours? It's not too bad. I'm excited to have you on here and, and just kind of ask about your story. I know it's incredibly compelling you know, for the people who are listening Amber Richard is a doctor of physical therapy. Uh, she works at a clinic in San Francisco, California, in outpatient orthopedics. Um, it's Presidio Sport and Medicine. And why her story is also really fascinating, compelling, is that she went through her own pain journey. And coming out of that really revolutionized the way that she thought and thinks about working with patients. And so since then, she's become quite an expert on the topic of persistent pain. She gives talks. She obviously works with her patients and does a lot of different mediums and ways of thinking about that, including dance medicine. Um, she used to be a dancer and an aerialist. And so very lucky to, to have Amber here um, to share her story. Thank you. I'm lucky to be here. I'm excited to share some more. So maybe let's start with... I know you, you work at Presidio Sport and Medicine, you work in physical therapy, but you're also thinking outside of the box around persistent pain. What does your practice look like today um, where people are coming in with kind of various conditions? You know, what are the limitations of physical therapy? When is it good? Maybe talk me through a little bit of, of your work. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the setting that I work in is set up such that I work one-on-one with patients and I get about 30 minutes with them. And then I um, transition them to an aide who takes them through most of the exercises. And I end up doing more of the sort of assessment um, and uh, evaluation and determining what types of exercises might be helpful. And I feel like when I first started practicing, the, the focus was very much on anatomy and physiology and thinking of things in those terms. And now what, you know, my sort of new lens has allowed me to do is that I make sure to also address people's fears and concerns, um, talk about feelings and emotions and sort of beliefs that might surround pain 
And I try to dispel as many of those that may be inaccurate based on the person's diagnosis and what I think is going on as possible on the first session so that we're off to a positive foot um, with, you know, the best prognosis possible as our expectation. Um, no, that's not exactly what you asked, but, um, you know, oh, that's helpful. Therapy, yeah. I think physical therapy in my mind is um, really should be an integral part of the treatment for chronic pain because what happens when you have chronic pain is that you expose your body to less and less and less as the fear of pain and the flare-ups sort of take over your life and your body becomes very deconditioned to the extent to which when you try to reintroduce activities, you often run into trouble. And so it's this sort of catch 22. And what physical therapy can do for you is provide a really safe environment in which you can begin to expose your body to things that it maybe hasn't done in a really long time with a health professional there to help you make modifications and give you guidance as to when, when is it a stop? When is it a pause? When, it, when is it a go? You know, because unfortunately in the case of chronic pain, pain is no longer a good indicator of whether or not you should do something because pain will exist mm. in the absence of anything being wrong. Um, and pain might not exist even in the presence of something being too much. So we need to be really smart and uh, about how we expose ourselves to new activities. And it's really helpful to have somebody to coach you through that, not just physically, which of course is what PTs do, but also just emotionally um, and having that sort of cheerleader by your side saying, I know you can do this. You're going to be okay. We're going to go through this together and having somebody on your team um, usually is really helpful in keeping people motivated. So that's yeah, positives, you know, of what physical therapy can bring. Absolutely. I also hear you kind of talking about maybe a slightly different focus of physical therapy where, where most people come in thinking, you know, about stretching and icing and massage and, and you're talking about fears and the emotional aspect of their injury and, and facing some of the phobias of, of movement. How do you debunk some of the myths or like preconceived notions that people come in with? Well, it's a lot of education. So, you know, I think one of the other things that's really nice about physical therapy is that in general, we get much more face time with our patients, you know, so I see people for 30 minutes at a time and I see them sometimes twice a week and I see them for several weeks. So that gives me enough time one-on-one -on -one with somebody to really talk through some of these concepts and give them the framework in which they can start to understand what's happening much better. That's really challenging to do with your primary care doctor or even an orthopod who you're really only going to see for a few minutes once every few months, right? So we're, we're lucky to have that kind of time with patients so we can build a relationship and teach them a lot about the body, about pain neuroscience, and that in and of itself debunks a lot of the beliefs that they may have been sort of indoctrinated with from somewhere else. Um, and it starts there, you know, I, I want to explain to people what's happening, but I would say, actually, I'll take it a step, um, sooner than that, uh, where it really starts is with listening to the patient. So the first thing I want to do is I want to listen to their story. I want to understand where they come from. Um, how this all developed, what their thoughts and beliefs are around that. And I want to validate what they have gone through first so that they know that I understand 
I am listening. And only then once I have done that and I have a, a sense of where they are at in terms of their current understanding of the problem, can I start to slowly address maybe some of the things that may be um, inaccurate beliefs um, or misconceptions that need to be altered so that they can move forward in their recovery process. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah that, that makes sense. That sounds like a pretty involved process. Yeah. And then the, I will say the second piece often, uh, you know, besides then starting the education is to, to also help them understand why some of the things that they may have tried in the past or some of the things that they have expected of physical therapists or other health providers um, might not be in their best interest. So, you know, I think a lot of people aren't clear on what physical therapists do at all, but if they have any sense of what physical therapists do, they often sort of equate it to maybe massage therapy or chiropractic. Um, it's a lot of hands-on, you know, massage, maybe manipulation, some stretching, and then some exercise. And I try to make it really clear to people that the massaging the stretching, the manipulations are all helpful in diminishing symptoms in the moment. But the thing that is truly the long-term relief and the recovery is exercise, is moving your body, using those tissues, desensitizing the nervous system by using the body. And so, you know, massage and, and all of these other modalities that are more passive are all beneficial for a short term, but they don't lead to long-term relief. So it's really in the patient's hands. And that's what I really want people to understand is that I want them to feel empowered to take care of themselves, to know that they have to, the tools that they need to, to treat their own problem and that they don't need to be reliant on somebody else to fix them. Yeah, that's really important because there is all that time between sessions, even though you're seeing them twice a week, where, you know, so many other things are happening, whether it's the way they move or, or other activities that they're engaging in um, that may be detrimental to their recovery. Absolutely. And I have to tell people that all the time. I can't undo in one 30-minute session what you have done in the last week. So you have to be on your team as well. You have to be an active participant in the recovery process. And the more active you can be with guidance, the better you'll do. Does that advice or the education that you're talking about, does it change based on, in the case of persistent pain versus acute pain? And, and what is that kind of distinction? How do you treat those differently? Mm -hmm. I would say that there are some slight differences, but the more I do this, the less I treat them differently because the best treatment for persistent pain is prevention. So if I can get somebody in the acute phase of an injury and I can explain to them how the nervous system works and I can explain to them that it's going to calm down and if it doesn't calm down, it doesn't mean that things are not healing in the tissues. It just means that your nervous system needs time to adjust and how to sort of read those signals, then we can prevent the persistence of pain. And so I still try to educate people, even with acute injuries and acute pain, on what pain means and what it might not mean. Um, I just maybe spend less time on that and more on really treating the tissue issue because we know that in the case of acute pain, uh, it is more related to tissue issues, but then when it's beyond three to six months, it has much more to do with that nervous system becoming hypersensitive. Right, right. But the exposure process is essentially the same. Right, which makes sense because, you know, I mean, some percentage of people go from acute to persistent and it's that mechanism that may even delay or turn up the dial, if you will, on the acute sensations as well. 
mm-hmm. or in the acute case on the sensations of pain that people are feeling. Mm-hmm. And, and so um, I, I know a lot of this and a lot of your kind of wisdom and knowledge and nuance comes from your own experience of going through a pain journey. I, I want to ask a little bit about that um, because I think it, it might kind of paint a, a fuller picture. Um, so at some point you started to get neck pain. And I think this was as you were practicing as a physical therapist. Uh, maybe tell me a little bit about what the onset of that was and, and kind of what that time was for you. Yeah. So what happened to me is that I moved to San Francisco and that was a big life change. I had just finished graduate school. Um, you know, I was moving to my first apartment in the city and I started a full-time job at the same time. It was sort of a period of big transition for me. And um, about six months after moving, I, I had no injury. I had a, a history of a fall many years before straight onto my head. So potentially there had been something that had occurred in my neck at that time. It was not symptomatic. Um, and in the midst of this, this big change in my life, I was started not sleeping very well. And I started to wake up throughout the night and I had a hard time sleeping through the night. And, you know, I had also the stress of starting a new, really, really g- demanding career. Um, and then having moved, moving in with a new roommate, new relationships, just all kinds of things happening at the same time. And one night I slept on, I happened to fall asleep on a really tall decorative pillow. And when I woke up in the morning, I picked my head up off the pillow and the entire right side of my neck just went crazy, completely went into spasm. I was obviously had a lot of pain. I literally needed help to get up out of bed. I couldn't even pick up my head without excruciating pain. I could barely move my neck. It was kind of that sensation that you get when you sleep wrong and you tweak your neck, you know, and you Mm. wake up and for a few days, you kind of can't turn your head, but to a much greater extreme. Um, and I had some numbness and tingling into my right hand. So of course, you know, I'm a physical therapist who has learned all of the anatomy. So I'm already (laughs) coming up with a differential diagnosis of all the possible terrible things that may have happened. Um, and, and essentially in the, the beginning stages, it was episodic. So it would flare up usually overnight uh, and it would last a few days and then it would sort of calm down, but almost never make it to totally normal. And then I would flare it up again. And, and as my nervous system got more and more sensitive, it took less and less and less to trigger that flare up until the flare ups were coming closer and closer together. And then finally, it was truly chronic pain where I had pain all the time when I woke up all the way to when I went to bed, had pain at night. I mean, I would wake up and have to lift my head up every time I turned over in bed. So it was pretty bad when it was wow, yeah, and a lot of weird sensations. I had sort of a sensation of crawling on my skin, hard to describe scratching, you know, these weird sensations that your nerves can create that don't really make sense. Um, and, and once it was chronic, it really was rather depressing. And, um, I really struggled to deal with it. And, and I, I will say that even before I learned all of the neuroscience around pain, I did notice one thing, which was that when I was treating patients, I didn't feel it because my attention 
was uh, focused on my patient and what they were saying and being engaged with what they were going through. And so my brain didn't have time to think about what I was feeling in my body. So I would get breaks from the pain when I was focused on others, (laughs) Um, which, which, uh, which is of course makes sense when you understand where pain comes from, but maybe at the time didn't make as much sense to me. Was there a point where you became overly concerned and you saw a doctor or a professional um, to get it checked out for, for some of the things that you were maybe expecting or um, some anxiety around a, a worse case scenario? Yeah. So I think I'm trying to think when that happened. I, you know, of course I work in a physical therapy clinic, but we're all overworked and too busy. So every once in a while I could get one of my coworkers when we both had a free moment at the same time to work on me when it was really bad. And, um, and that was, somewhat reassuring, but nobody really wanted, you know, as physical therapists, we're technically not allowed by law to diagnose. So we were just sort of going by feel and kind of thinking, okay, well, what could this be based off of what we know? And we have a pretty good understanding and we think this is what's happening, but I had no sort of definitive proof. And that's, I think, where a lot of people do get caught up. We, we feel very uncomfortable with uncertainty. And so at some point when you sit in that uncertainty long enough, you think, well, I need a definitive answer, which is completely understandable. And so I don't remember what specifically prompted me. I don't know if there was a specific flare up or something that happened, but I decided to go see my primary care doctor to sort of get the ball rolling because of course I know how the medical system is. So I knew it wouldn't be so easy to get an image. So I said, I'll I'll go in, I'll mention that I have this problem. They're probably going to make me take an x-ray. I know that's not going to show a whole lot, but eventually I think I might want to get an MRI. So I went in and, you know, there was a very cursory sort of screen of like, well, you know, it looks like you've got some muscle tension here and we'll order, order an x-ray. Um, and I tried to ask, you know, well, is it possible to just get an MRI? Because I know an x-ray, I'm not worried about a fracture. Um, but that was just, no, we got to get the x-ray. So I got the x-rays and, um, and I, (laughs) this is so funny that this is the reason I never got the MRI. Um, I got the x-ray and all it really showed was a flattening of my cervical spine, which is really common when you have sort of basically whiplash, chronic whiplash symptoms. Your muscles Mm. are really tense and they're sort of tugging on the spine. And so there's a bit of a flattening of the natural curvature. And that's all that says, right? So I knew that and I knew that it wouldn't show any fractures or anything crazy. And so then I was like, okay, I've got the next step, which is going to be to get the MRI. But then I got the bill for my x-ray. And my x-ray cost me over $900. Oh my God. (laughs) For an x-ray. $900, which just right there, I could go on a whole rant about what's wrong with our medical system, but I won't. And because of that, because of the cost, I said, well, I can't afford an MRI if an x-ray is $900. So I said, well, I'm just going to have to figure something else out. And so I made the decision, I think around that time to really just start, you know, I did the thing that everybody does, which is that you think, well, eventually it'll go away and I'll just ignore it. And I'll just you know, just 
do the stuff that I've always done that seems to work instead of really saying, okay, I have to focus on this problem and I need to really problem solve and think of it as a puzzle and start to put the pieces together. I was hoping I was going to get the easy way out and it would just kind of sort itself out. Right. Sure. So I got to that point where I said, okay, I got it. I got to really figure this piece out. And so I, um, started looking at my ergonomics and decided, okay, I need a, I need a standing desk. I don't want to have a sitting desk anymore. And then I started working on my posture and then I decided, okay, I need to see a physical therapist on a regular basis so I can actually get somebody to be on my team, you know, and give me yeah. an external perspective. Because even as a clinician, what I have learned from all of this is you cannot be objective when it comes to you. It's not possible. Um, and so I needed somebody else to take a look at me and somebody that I trusted. So I did that and things started to improve. I, um, I went from having chronic pain to again, being in that episodic stage of coming and going. And it was still relatively easy to trigger things, but it was not there all the time, which was a big relief. And, um, yeah. And then the next step in my journey, I think was actually, a patient who came in and who I worked with who had this nerve hypersensitivity issue and uh, this year long history of chronic pain as a result of it. And she was actually the person who said, you know, I, I, I somehow I read this, this workbook and, um, and she passed it on to me and it was a workbook on the neuroscience of pain. And so I read that and I, and I was like, Oh, this is all really interesting. And I'm, and I'm reading it and I'm not at all thinking of myself. I mean, I really don't see myself at all in these pages. And I'm thinking of all the patients that I see that I think, Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And well, of course, why didn't I learn this in school? This totally makes sense. I see this every day. You know, I've, I've known for years that the people who think they're going to get, get better tend to get better. And the people who come in believing they're not going to get better don't tend to improve. And that I know that there's a mind-body connection, but this is giving me some real scientific data to show why that is true. Mm. And I'm imagining all these scenarios and, and um, none of the time that I'm reading all this information, am I thinking about myself as a chronic pain patient, applying <laughs> it to myself. And I remember specifically that the turning point for me was um, that I had had um, I had had a period of time where I hadn't had pain. I hadn't had a flare up in a while. It had been maybe a couple months after I read this pain neuroscience workbook that I was like, great, I can apply this to all my patients. And I had this morning where I was feeling great with the world. All was well. I was like, I'm going to go to a yoga class, get my weekend started to a great start. And, um, I stepped outside and I, I just turned my head down to look at my phone, to select a song, to walk to, to my class and something clicked in my neck and I had a sharp pain and it was kind of like a reoccurrence of my initial injury where the right side of my neck just went crazy and my muscles spasmed and it was like, okay, we're back to square one. And oh, that felt like in my mind, I remember I went from being totally fine with everything in the world to nothing is better in my neck. It's just as bad as it was on day one, like pits of despair I, something is terribly wrong in there. This is not normal. You know, simply turning your neck can't possibly cause this kind of a, a, a symptom. Like this is clearly something must be really wrong. And I went from, okay, I, I, I think I need to get an MRI. This is the next step. I need to get an MRI. Um, something is, is, is horribly wrong with me. And, uh, I'm probably going to need to get an injection. And if that doesn't work, I'm probably going to need to get surgery. And, you know, I've seen lots of people after surgery and what if surgery doesn't work? What if I have 
a failed surgery? What if I never get to be a practicing PT again? And I just snowballed. And I went from being perfectly fine to crying in a state of complete despair, feeling like nothing had gotten better. And in fact, my, my, my neck was, you know, a mess and broken. And I even went so far as to call, uh, uh, actually posted on Facebook, like, does anybody know where I can get an MRI? That's not going to cost me an arm and a leg. And, um, a, a, an acquaintance of mine, who's a, a chiropractor reached out saying, Hey, you know, reach out to me because we have an MRI machine at my clinic. And I called him on the phone and, you know, he kind of told me what he could do for me. And then, and then I, for some reason I hung up the phone and I, I think my, my fiance talked to me and said, you know, well, I know you're really upset, but it's going to be okay. And he kind of talked me down a little bit. And mm-hmm. I realized in that moment, it somehow clicked. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm doing that thing that brains that are in pain do. I am having catastrophic thinking. I'm thinking of the worst possible scenario all the way down to I'm going to become an invalid and I'm never going to be a practicing PT again. Uh, instead of you know, giving equal attention to maybe this is just a flare up that will go away in three days. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, And so I was really, that moment really proved to me that my nervous system, including my brain, uh, was definitely involved, you know, and that I was the chronic pain patient that I had been reading about. Uh, and that was really a turning point for me because then I, I, that was the hundred percent in moment where I said, Oh, okay, this is truth. This is not some theory that applies to some people, but not me. I'm the exception. I said, no, I am, I am that person. I fit all of these things. You know, I have some components of, of these different patterns that we see when people have chronic pain. And so it really was what I needed to experience in order to really buy into like, okay, the nervous system is my problem. And that's where I need to really spend my time and attention in order to get this problem to go away. And now I tell people, you know, I I remind people of two things when they come in, when patients come into me and they're in a flare up, I say, okay, I know that you're thinking nothing's better. This is just as bad as it has always been. And we've made no progress, but you need to realize that that's not actually the truth, that this is just a flare up and flare ups have a half-life of their own. And so it's going to take a few days. It's not going to go away right now, but that you are going to be okay. And then I try to tell them, and this is a really good opportunity for you to look at your thought patterns. What are your thought patterns when you are in a pain flare? What are your individual nervous systems, you know, tendencies? Is it catastrophic thinking? Is it anxiety? Is it depression? What do you tend to naturally go towards? Because that's just what your brain does. And how can we start to address that piece? Right. Yeah. And experience has really informed the way that I help other people through their flare ups. I, I can see that. And, um, that such a night and day difference probably between that moment and, and what happened kind of all the months before of you trying different things and, and even reading that book and maybe not coming to this aha moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It had to be, it had to be the nail in the coffin proof that I am, I am like all of those people who have this nervous system sensitivity that develops, you know, and it's not our fault. It's, it happens in one in four people. It's very common. Um, but once you know what's happening, then you, you know where to target your attention. And if you've been targeting your treatments and your attention at your body, but a big piece of your problem is in your nervous system, you're, you're not going to see the improvements that you hope for. So you have to be willing 
to have this multifaceted approach. Right. And it's not until you have the buy-in that that's actually something that could be helpful to you, that you're going to be willing and motivated to make that happen. So would you say that I'm kind of replaying back, but there were a couple of key pieces. It was you learning about this and then also having this kind of moment of reckoning where you started to see at least an equal importance, if not more weight on kind of the nervous system, way it responds to some of the catastrophic thinking that you were going through at the time that was almost impossible to come to maybe before it was quite a journey to, to get there. Is that absolutely? And I also want to drive home the point that it, I did not identify with catastrophic thinking, anxiety, any of these other things that were described in the workbook until I had a pain flare up. When I had pain, that's when it became really obvious what my brain does, you know? So when you're feeling good and you read the stuff, you're like, Oh, that sounds interesting. You know, like, well, maybe some people experience that, but you totally don't, you're not able to be objective. You know, right. it really pain has this quality to it that allows us to forget it when, when it's not there, you know, which is a good thing for our survival. But, um, but it means that we're not actually, we don't have a very accurate memory of even what a pain experience is like. And so we actually, when we go through it is when we really have an opportunity to observe, learn, and then shift things. So I, right. I, I've, I've heard somebody um, refer to their pain as their reminder. And I really like <laughs> calling yeah. it that because it is a reminder to tune into your body and to listen in and figure out well, what is your body trying to tell you, you know, and it's a reminder to take care of yourself in, in more than one way. Yeah, right. I, I think that for me, um, that's been a continuous uh, pattern of it reminding me of, of very different things. Um, would you say today, I don't know how many years later we are now, but how is your pain level today? And does it continue to, to flare up at different points or what is kind of the tail end of this journey yeah. look like? So um, I, my pain today is, is fine. I do not have pain today. Um, I still flare up. Yes, I do have flare ups. They are much less intense. They last far fewer days. And in fact, the less I worry about them, the quicker they leave, the more I worry about them and think about it, the longer they stay. So I've learned to really be, have this approach of like, Oh, I, I, I will say this to people. I almost try to think of it like an itch, you know, an itch is really annoying and it's not a comfortable sensation and I don't like it, but I don't tend to obsess about whether or not it's going to stay there forever. So I try to take that approach about my pain. I'm like, oh, shoot, that pain is there again. Well, that's really annoying. Oh, well, it'll be gone soon. And I just move on instead of, you know, rehashing in my mind the details of like, well, what could this be? And what does it mean? You know, I don't go there anymore. And because I don't go there anymore, my brain is able to adjust, you know, and, and, and stop focusing on it. And therefore, everything comes down much faster. So I don't suffer from pain the way that I used to. Um, I... I think that it's easy to think really black and white. It's just the way that our, our, our minds work. And so, you know, I do believe that there's always a combination of things happening in the body and things happening in the nervous system. Of course, the nervous system is part of the body, but I'll make the distinction of, you know, your tissues versus your nervous system. And so I have some amount of confidence that there's something wrong inside of my neck. Um, it's not going to kill me, so I'm not too worried about it. 
I don't have progressive weakness into my arm. So clearly if there is a nerve that's pinched or whatever, a disc that's injured or, you know, some arthritis in, in a joint, um, I'm not really that worried that anything terrible is going to come of it. Uh, so I don't really worry about it. And as a result of that, I've, I've made a very firm decision that I'm not going to get an MRI. I don't anticipate ever getting an MRI unless things get far more, you know, serious because you can't unknow what you know. And I would rather not know what's going on in there because then I can't ruminate on it. I can't obsess about it. I can't freak out about it. I can't stress about it. Instead, I assume, well, something's going on there. I like to say, you know, we all get dings in our vehicle and I have a ding in my neck. And so sometimes it, you know, it flares up and it tells me "Eh, I need some attention. I might need a massage. I might need you to exercise me. I might need a little bit more stretching, or maybe sometimes it's telling me I'm really stressed out. I took too much on my plate or, you know, I'm, there's some emotional something that's going on that I haven't been paying attention to. So I also have learned not to interpret my pain as being purely physical. And I always think, well, I don't just think about what did I do with my body? I think, what did I do with my sleep? You know, what is my stress level like? What's going on with work? I look at it much more holistically because I understand that it's just my alarm system is ringing, but I, I don't want to assume that it's because something's wrong in my body. It could be because I'm really stressed out or it could be many other things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, point is really, really important to, to hone in on, which is there are complexity of factors that are happening at the same time. Um, and that may speak to kind of a, a myriad of, of different ways to, to try and treat the pain. What, what do you think it was for you um, in terms of practices that really helped you kind of shift your mindset from thinking that it was something physical to seeing more of this mind-body connection um, and, and seeing kind of how both parts are cyclical and, and really influence each other. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll share one thing, which is that I think one of the major factors that contributed to the, the beginning of this pain was my sleep, sleep issue. So sleep quality is really important. I've noticed for my health and specifically for my chronic pain, um, which is no longer chronic, thank goodness. Uh, and so I really prioritize sleep quality, um, earplugs, eye mask, uh, blackout curtains. I try to go to bed early. I try to get a, a good number of hours of sleep and that makes a really big difference. Um, so that's a big one. I meditate. I find that I need some kind of relaxation technique because I do have this really demanding job that goes from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. I'm always on a clock. So I need things that help me to relax and to slow down. And meditation is one that is really helpful for me. I particularly uh, benefit from deep breathing exercises. Um, and I think most people would. So that's um, anytime that I notice any tension in my body or that I'm stressed out, I try to take some really deep breaths and just key into the sensations in my body and sort of help me calm down. Uh, and then I I went back to dancing. So one of the things that happened as a result of, of all of these life changes is that I stopped dancing. And because I stopped dancing, I got weaker. And I think that was one of the things that also contributed to this neck injury. And so I went back to dancing. And at first, you know, I could only dance for 15 minutes. And then I would have to lie down and let my neck rest because it would fatigue so quickly. Um, And But going back to dancing was both obviously strengthening for my neck, but also from a sort of spiritual, personal, emotional, artistic, and every other standpoint, 
I'll identify yeah. as, a, as a dancer. That's a part of my identity. And it was one that had sort of slipped away and fallen away. And I, I uh, probably underestimated how important that was for my general well-being to have that creative outlet. Uh, and so I think that was also a really big part of my healing. So, you know, I think uh, encouraging people to return to their hobbies. Again, I say, even if it's five minutes at a time, that's better than zero. And so you just have to take it a little bit at a time, but really not just incorporating relaxation techniques, but also um, meaningful activities and reintroducing those into your life. I fortunately was not in a situation where I was withdrawn from my relationships and and society. So I I didn't have that piece, but um, that's another thing that tends to happen for a lot of people. And that would be another avenue for for re-engaging and changing the way that your nervous system is reacting to things. Right, yeah. It sounds, I mean, also commend you on probably took a lot of courage to move through some of that pain. Pain can be very uncomfortable and, and there's a real aversion to experiencing it and even changing up your lifestyle that probably worked so well to keep the pain at bay for so mm-hmm. long um, or even, you know, keep the flare ups down. And I'm sure there was a lot of fear that you overcame in that dancing kind of in the beginning of, of that journey of, of getting back to dancing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I just want to commend you. I think that's, that's probably really hard to, to do. Um, and now you're kind of in it and you're in the thick of that and, and, you know, maybe hard to connect back to those, those fears, but. Um, it's, it's interesting because you know. I, I can recall a fear that I had, which is that I did a, a photo shoot where you had to use a trampoline and um, and land flat on your back and then bounce back up and kind of assume different positions that might be interesting to photograph. And I remember at that time it was feeling better, but I was definitely not as as good as I am now. And I I was thinking about it, thinking, oh gosh, I wonder if this is really going to flare me up. Is this going to you know hurt my neck? But I was so excited about the shoot and I was I was wanting to participate, and so I said, you know what, I'm just going to do it anyways. And guess what? I got really sore, but I didn't get more sore than in something else would cause. You know, it was like muscle soreness, not pain per se. And now I would approach, I've, I see my growth in terms of my fear and my my tendency to go, well, is that going to hurt? Where now I go, well, it might hurt. We'll find out later. You know, and I just jump in. It's like, I don't even really think too hard about it. So it's, I'm so much more willing to test my limits. And the thing is that it, it just takes slow, progressive exposure for you to get to that point. So it's, it starts again, five minutes at a time. You know, you can't, you can't jump for, if you got this 50 ton ship that's heading one direction and you want to make a 180, it's going to happen one degree at a time. So it takes a lot of patience as well. Yeah. And that's, that's something that doesn't come easily in a life of chronic mm-hmm. pain where you're, you're kind of used to managing in a certain way and, and patience for something else is almost a mm-hmm. risk, uh, you know, to, to go down a different path or, or choose a different Absolutely. direction. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, you have such a wonderful, wonderful story and, and clearly so much wisdom and experience uh, that, you are able to pass on to the people that you work with and um you know honestly just really inspired by the the continuous evolving of of the way that you're thinking about this and 
um, you know, all the kind of talks on, on neuroscience of pain that you're giving, um, just really kind of wonderful impact to the community of San Francisco. And I know um, the the people that work with you have, have such high uh, regard and, and wonderful things oh, to say. You. So, yeah. You know, yeah. Thank you so I, much. When I first learned about all of this and realized the connection and understood what was happening with me, my my thought was if I can just help one person out of chronic pain, it will be worth it. And, and I still sort of just take that approach because it is a challenging uh, issue to deal with and it takes a long time to see progress and everything moves slowly. And so it can feel like you're standing still, but the, the resilience emerges over time. And the longer I do this, the more I see people get better. And it's, it's just, I just think that there's so much hope for everybody out there. Um, it's not over at all. <laughs> if you're in that place where you're in despair, I have been there and I understand that place. Um, but you know, luckily you're a living, breathing organism that is constantly responding to the environment and your body and your nervous system is made to adapt. So there's always hope for things to change and we're not stuck. And that's the beauty of, of science and human, the human body. Um, and I just think that the message needs to be spread further so that people can access those solutions and, and get out of pain. 